Welcome to an American view of British science fiction with your host Stephen Kelly. Welcome to the show. This is Stephen Kelly, as Robot Voice just got through saying. And this is the third episode. We've made it this far. Sorry, guys, the show's a little bit delayed. We ended up going to a science fiction convention last week, and it kind of drained me for the most part. We ended up uh, getting to meet a few people, and next week I'm actually going to be talking about that. So stay tuned, people of the greater Kansas City area know what I'm talking about, but anyone else listening might not know why it's such a big deal. So, before we get started, remember to check out this podcast companion site, an American View of British Science Fiction.com, for news, reviews, and other great content like show notes for this very podcast. I am also on iTunes now and the iTunes store, so don't forget to check that out. And while you're there, feel free to drop a few stars and a review my direction. While five stars would be good, I do understand that there's a recession going on, and sometimes you just can't spare those stars, that kind of commitment. Well, this is the second part of a little series I am got going here for the beginning of the podcast. And what we've been going over is... Uh, some sort of post-apocalyptic dystopian science fiction from the UK in the 1980s. And since I like to throw some history into these podcasts, if I can, I kind of wanted to set the scene. Here's a what if for you. Now, you guys remember that protect and survive clip I ran last episode? Well, that's not actually the only thing that would be on TV if a third world war were to have begun. It would be accompanied by what could have been the last time anyone heard the queen speak. This was actually uh, released not too long ago. I, think, I believe it was 2013. The um, They have a 30-year classified information thing where the National Archives will actually declassify things after a certain amount of time, and this was actually one of them. And this is basically the Queen's uh, The World is About to End speech. So this is kind of kind of scary. I tried to find a full acted out version of this and even had my robot voice program do this and both options did not pan out. Robot voice put weird inflections in the middle of words and stuff and it just kind of sounded stupid. And even though I found a thing that had a British accent, it did not work out. It didn't sound like the Queen. It sounded like some overdone like street urchin was talking. It was terrible. But here we go. So... Just imagine I'm a geriatric queen of an island nation in the Atlantic Ocean for the purposes of this read-through. When I spoke to you less than three months ago, we were all enjoying the warmth and fellowship of a family Christmas. 
Our thoughts were concentrated on strong links that bind each generation to the ones that came before those and that will follow. The horrors of war could have seemed more remote as my family and I shared our Christmas joy with the growing family of the Commonwealth. Now this madness of war is once more spreading through the world, and our brave country must again prepare itself to survive great odds. I have never forgotten the sorrow and the pride I felt as my sister and I huddled around the nursery wireless set listening to my father's inspiring words on that fateful day in 1939. Not for a single moment did I imagine that this solemn and awful duty would one day fall to me. We all know that the dangers facing us today are greater by far than at any time in our long history. The enemy is not the soldier with his rifle, nor e- even the airman prowling the skies above our cities and towns, but the deadly power of abuse technology. But whatever terrors lie in wait for us, all the qualities that have helped us to keep our freedom intact twice already during this sad century will once more be our strength. My husband and I share with families up and down the land. We fear that our sons and daughters, husbands and brothers, who have left our side to serve the country, My beloved son, Andrew, at this moment, is in action with his unit, and we pray continually for his safety and the safety of all servicemen and women at home and overseas. It is this close bond of family life that must be our greatest defense against the unknown. If families remain united and resolute, giving shelter to those living alone and unprotected, our country's will to survive cannot be broken. My message to you, therefore, is simple. Help those who cannot help themselves. Give comfort to the lonely and the homeless, and let your family become the focus of hope and life to those who need it. As we strive together to fight off new evil, let us pray for our country and men of goodwill, wherever they may be. God bless you all. Very chilling words um, had Queen Elizabeth II delivered them. It's frankly a very depressing speech. and It really goes to show the tone of the 80s and how much better we have it now, not living in constant fear, no matter how much the media tries to put us in that sort of mindset, we don't have the constant fear going on just 24-7 of we're all going to die, end of the world's going to happen, Russia's going to drop a nuke on us, etc. So, last episode we started a series on the 1980s fascination with our own impending doom by discussing a much earlier film called The War Game. The war game was ultimately shelved because it was deemed too scary and the government pressured the BBC not to air it. Some have even said, and I actually didn't mention this last time because this was something I uh, found doing research for Threads, that there was a legitimate fear within the BBC that the war game would have resulted in mass suicides had it aired. They honestly thought that it was going to be like the infamous Orson Welles reading of War of the Worlds over the radio, where there were some people that killed themselves, thinking that aliens were in fact invading our world. Now, fast forward to 1984, and it was a different world. Post-apocalyptic hysteria was everywhere, for the very reasons we discussed in the last episode, and people wanted to be prepared for the worst if someone on the other side of the world decided to have an itchy trigger finger. Threads was not the answer people wanted. There was no keep calm campaign or anything, only a fear that we'd utterly or be utterly hopeless due to governmental incompetence if anything bad were to happen. If you recall, this sort of incompetence seems to be a theme that runs through a lot of this stuff. Now, we ended up talking a little bit about how in Wargame, 
there was this underlying fear that if anything was going to happen, the government was going to basically hand out brochures and give us busy work and other things that really weren't going to do anything in the grand scheme of things. This was also in uh, programs like in America, there was a show called The Day After, which similarly showed how society was presumed to just completely break down if anything like this were to happen. Um, I've got a couple other shows, but I mean, you can, that we're going to talk about in the next few episodes, but you can think of more. Um, the movie Dr. Strange Love is about nuclear Holocaust and it's all because of the complete incompetence of our government. If you recall, there's like some scenes, you know, granted Dr. Strange Love is a comedy, but there's scenes where, you know, people walk in and say, ironic things like hey guys there's no fighting in the war room and stuff like that and it just paints everyone in such a ridiculous manner that you can tell most people making these sort of creative outlets during this time did not trust that the higher-ups had our best interests in mind um i couldn't really find a good trailer for threads that would um work on in an audio format I had actually looked around, and most of them had text completely through this. Um, there are some trailers. I'm going to put them in the show notes for the movie. I found a Canadian television program that they they showed threads back in 1984, commercially uninterrupted, and they they aired it in such a way to where at the very beginning of the broadcast, they actually sat down and kind of warn the audience what they were in for. And that's what I actually found. I found a few of these actually from different places, but I think this one was the best. Reason being is that you have the introduction, then you have kind of a disclaimer, and then you actually have the very beginning little narration of the movie, then it cuts. So I kind of wanted to let you guys hear this. So here it is now. The drama you are about to see is a graphic depiction of nuclear war and its aftermath, a topic none of us like to think about. The decision to support this presentation was not an easy one. However, we decided that the quality and the sincerity of threads made it well worth viewing. Living under the constant threat of nuclear annihilation should never become an accepted way of life. We can't afford to stop thinking and talking about it because without awareness of what it's really like and the strong will to change it, it will become accepted as the status quo and a way out of this deadly game will never be found. The human race has shown it is capable of solving great problems. And in that spirit, I'm privileged to invite you to watch this program which depicts with stark realism what no one on earth wants to have happen. The docudrama you are about to witness is one of the most intensely realistic portrayals of nuclear holocaust ever seen. So daring is this British production that it has never been scheduled on U.S. network television. We at VU-13 feel that this is one of the most important television productions you will ever see. Threads is not a polished Hollywood star-studded feature. It is an honest portrayal of events that could take place should there be a nuclear war. Threads is graphic and shocking and may not be suitable for children. Viewer discretion is advised. In an urban society, everything connects. Each person's needs are fed by the skills of many others. 
our lives are woven together in a fabric. But the connections that make society strong also make it vulnerable. And there we go. As you can tell, the title of the show is not so much... You, you see it and you might say, Threads, what does that have to do with anything? And it's basically that the threads are symbolic of our society. And they're woven together in such a way that if something bad were to happen, the whole thing were to unravel. And that's kind of what happens in this movie. While the War Game was essentially a strict documentary production, Threads actually has some semblance of a dramatic narrative in place. The plot focuses on ordinary people living in the city of Sheffield, and more specifically, a couple of uh, young people that basically are, are on the threshold of becoming adults. There's an unplanned pregnancy between these two, and you have um, two characters, Ruth Beckett and her boyfriend, Jimmy Kemp. And so they're faced with the kind of dilemma that you might have in an after-school special. They get, she gets knocked up, for lack of a better term, and so they're pressured into getting married and talking about, you know, well, they need to get a house and the job and everything else. It just kind of starts out like this, but in the background, there's this kind of bad stuff looming. While this kind of narrative is happening, they occasionally will pan across and you'll see news. And the news is leading up to the impending disaster that culminates in the middle of the movie. And no one really pays attention to anything. The signs are all there that the world is on the brink of some kind of bad thing, but it's just sort of washed over. So you, you, you have these people that are just going about daily activities, and they have the news on. They glance at it. It'll be on the front page of newspapers. There's the radio in the background. People are listening passively. But let's face it. These people have much bigger things to deal with in their immediately, immediate lives. They don't really notice what's going on. And so they basically pepper in this plot progression where, and they, you know, they have like fake archival footage and everything. I'm not sure exactly where this came from, but it really helps you, like, kind of, it looks like it's a real thing going on. And it, basically, what ends up happening to set this off is Iran falls to a military coup. Russia decides to capitalize on the situation. And due to a complex web of alliances with other countries, sort of like in World War One, if you recall, the way we got uh, kind of everyone got dragged into that, places like America and Great Britain get dragged right into this war in Iran. Um, American bombers try to help fend off the Russian threat, inadvertently causing a nuclear war to erupt. Russia attacks those bombers, and then Russia gets hit with a retaliatory attack on an unoccupied air or uh, occupied air base. Russia then launches an EMP attack over the North Sea and follows it up with a barrage of nuclear strikes on key tactical points in all NATO countries. And the focus of this movie, Sheffield, happens to be one of those targets. 
Now, up to this point in the movie, it is honestly a lot like a lot of other contemporary dramas set in the 1980s in the UK. They had a lot of uh, movies during this time about people just trying to get by in the Thatcher economy. You know, you had a lot of small towns during this time that got hit really hard with, you know, mining strikes and retaliation against mining strikes and industrial strikes and such. And a lot of these kind of white, kind of blue-collar working-class areas just got messed up really bad. And so that's what we're, we have leading up to this point in the movie. And then the bomb hits. And that's where everything just kind of turns. Basically, from here on, the movie shifts into a disaster movie. And you have, uh, you know, leading up right before the bomb actually hits, you've got protests going on against nuclear war. You've got people from government positions are trying to calm the tension down. They're going out there claiming prosperity due to industrial growth, um, trying to basically divert people's attention from what's happening. But it does not help. Basically, everything bad happens. Um, As far as we can tell at that point in the movie, Ruth's husband, soon-to-be husband Jimmy, ends up getting killed. It's which there's a there's actually a shock later on with that that I'm not going to spoil everything but basically anyone that's left after the initial blast ends up just having a horrible situation and what we end up having is Ruth by herself pregnant and her life as she knows it has just been completely ripped away one thing that's really jarring is from here on, this movie is probably the most realistic depiction of a nuclear winter that I think I've ever seen and a societal collapse because the movie actually jumps ahead, I believe, six months and then, like, years later in the second time jump. And when it jumps ahead a little bit, you know, everyone looks sick, there's just ruins everywhere. There are there, the temperature is obviously colder, and just like society has completely gone out the window at this point. When it jumps ahead even further, you see that any kids, including Ruth's daughter, we find out that were raised at this point have no culture whatsoever. Um, one of the more shocking moments in the movie that for me was when you hear Ruth's daughter actually talking. And at this point, she's a teenager. She, the kids talk in this broken English that they, it's not, it's like caveman talk. It's like pigeon English or something. They just kind of grunt and point at things. It honestly reminded me of the kids from like the third Mad Max movie or something where you know, left completely alone, these kids kind of evolved to have their own culture and stuff. You're watching it, and you just can't, you feel like crap. I mean, that's all there is to it. This movie is not for everyone. This movie is good if you can handle this kind of movie. Now, it's not anything crazy like some kind of gore-filled exploitation movie. This isn't Saw. 
This isn't Cabin in the Woods. This isn't anything like that. The plot is so bleak that it's just like, it's almost like Schindler's List when you're watching this movie. It's just depressing. I honestly have not let my, well, it's not that I haven't let her. I haven't, like, my wife and I watch a lot of this stuff together, and I haven't, like, had her watch it because I seriously doubt that she would want to watch it. It reminded me of things like The Passion of the Christ when we went to see that, you know, whether you like that movie or not. But I recall very vividly when that movie came out, going to the theater and watching that amongst an entire room of people, and they got to the part where um, Jesus gets whipped. And I remember that that scene was so just brutal and it, like just like bleak that the entire audience seemed to be crying and sniffling stuff like that and it, it just kind of you know it was a big downer <laughs> and so i can't imagine subjecting this isn't like a, a party movie this isn't like hey guys let's all come over grab some beers man we're gonna watch threads yo never gonna happen because unless you want to like ruin the party <laughs> there is no way to bust this out but this movie is very very important this movie is educational in in a degree not only looking at the past, looking at the history of what people thought back then, but you know what would this the shock value and within this would all honestly get you to say, "Hey, this is what might happen. <laughs> I'm not going to make these mistakes." And you know, while the war game was shocking in the '60s, so shocking that it never got aired until the '80s. Threads basically took this shock, removed any of the humor. You know, if you recall, I mentioned that there were some kind of satire elements to the war game, where it was kind of poking fun at the church and certain things like that. Well, that's gone. Threads has taken that shock value up to a level that I don't think has been matched by another disaster film. Most films in this genre turn into heroic action movies with, you know, a square-jawed hero kicking a volcano's ass or a scientist that saves everyone from a storm. There's none of that in here. This movie ends on such a down note that I was watching it, and like the last scene, and I don't remember if it says the end or something, it's just the last scene. I think it just freeze frames. And, you know, basically what ends up happening is Ruth's daughter ends up getting pregnant. You know, she's a teenager, and due to the radiation and everything that's around, she goes to a hot what is what could be considered a hospital in this time, and ends up having this mutated stillborn baby. And that's the last scene of the movie. And that hits, and you're just like, Alright, that was really messed up. So you know, there's that. <laughs> It's just not not a happy movie whatsoever. Well, I wanted to give you guys a little bit of background here. So, Threads was actually commissioned by the director general of the of BBC, Alice Dare Milne, I think is how you pronounce that. I have probably offended everyone listening to this. And, you know, if you have any complaints about how I pronounce that name... Please give me five stars on iTunes and direct all complaints to the complaint department. Care of... I don't know. Anyway. 
but he basically watched the war game and thought that something similar to that except more modern would probably benefit people and he decided to commission what was essentially a remake of the war game he hired a director named Mick Jackson to direct the film he had previously worked in the area of nuclear apocalypse uh, dramas i guess he produced a bbc documentary called a guide to armageddon at one point and apparently a guide to armageddon was fairly well received that he ended up getting a lot more work after that and they basically decided to give him a full-fledged drama um now, according to Wikipedia, Jackson apparently traveled around the UK and the US consulting leading scientists, psychologists, doctors, defense specialists, and strategic experts in order to create the most realistic depiction of nuclear war possible. He even consulted uh, various sources in his research, including the 1983 science article, that's Science Magazine, Nuclear Winter, colon, Global Consequences of Multiple Nuclear Explosions. Um, this this article is fairly important. It was actually written by Carl Sagan and James B. Pollock, and it was more or less, you know, up until this point, there wasn't a lot of speculation as to what would happen if a bunch of nukes went off. And this article wasn't probably the the first time that they talked about nuclear winter, but it kind of brought it to people's attention, especially you know Carl Sagan, love him or hate him, he was kind of like the Neil deGrasse Tyson of his time, or I, you know, you, you could say the opposite. Neil deGrasse Tyson is the Carl Sagan of his time. He did a lot to popularize science. He wasn't, you know, from all things that I've heard, he was not a very great scientist, but he was a great TV presenter, and he could get points across, and, you know, the everyone just kind of ate it up. And anyway, he wrote this article, and they looked at that article as one of the bases for these movies. Um, a little thing that I read was that Jackson talked about how BBC productions would usually be followed by, you know, a party and phone calls of congratulations from friends or colleagues immediately after airing and, you know, threads aired and it was like a double feature. They aired threads and they aired a a documentary kind of like as a wrap up. And then they even had a like a panel discussion. This was like an entire block of depressing you're going to die shows. And he basically sat there, no such phone calls, no such party. He later realized that people had just sat there just thinking about it. In many cases, not sleeping or being able to talk. Like people were just dumbfounded by what they had seen. He later said that he had on good authority that Ronald Reagan watched the film when it aired in the U.S. And it apparently was one of the things that helped lead to the push for disarmament. Because you had this and you also had the day after air not too far apart. And supposedly this kind of stuff all airing kind of freaked out some people that this ramping up of our nuclear armaments, the Star Wars program, various other things, just, it was it was bound to happen if it, if it kept up that way. Some Someone was going to trip up and launch nuclear holocaust. And luckily that did not happen. Well, that's more or less 
what I've got here for this episode. Now, what I wanted to do was kind of read a little bit of little write-ins, I guess. And this was... um, Originally, I had reviewed this this movie on the website a couple years ago. And I had some nice comments that were put down. I'm going to kind of read some of them because they're... You know, kind of like fan mail here. In fact, if you want to send me some kind of listener mail, feel free to drop me a line on any of my articles. I've also got a website on there. You can drop it on iTunes. Just anywhere. I can read it out on air. If you have a question to ask, feel free. But um, one of my readers is a gentleman named C.K. Ponderings. He said, uh, this is a stunning movie. Truly real and heartbreaking. Back in the mid-80s, there was a real threat of nuclear oblivion, and as an impressionable teenager at the time, threads thrived on the paranoia and fear of the time. While there had been similar programs before, uh, parentheses, the war game from the 1960s, for example, because of my age and the truly apocalyptic feel of this film, seen from the aspect of everyday Britain, threads had a huge impact on me. Around the same time, when The Wind Blows came out, I had a similar effect, even though it is animated. And that's actually one of the next episodes we're going to be doing um, here in a couple weeks is When the Wind Blows, which is about as bleak as this is. Now, um, Mr. C.K. Ponderings is actually the person that sent me the tip on watching Threads back when I reviewed the war game, so I was actually pretty... Pretty happy that uh, he remembered that and put it on here. Um, another contributor on here named Stephen Poor wrote in and said, Not long after Threads first came out, our secondary school made us watch it. Talk about traumatized. Since then, it has been part of the cultural landscape, especially, obviously, up here in sunny Sheffield. So this this gentleman lives in Sheffield. <laughs> it's, it's quite something to see familiar streets, albeit 30-year-old uh, from the same getting blown to smithereens. It's in, <clears throat> in an essay at a university I played on the thought of nuclear war being a modern horror fiction using Stephen King, The Stand, and Tom Clancy, The Sum of All Fears. I'm guessing that one, anyway, it devoted an entire chapter to the process of a nuclear device exploding, which I considered as a grotesque as any number of zombie decapitations. As examples, I got called idiosyncratic. Clearly, the tutor hadn't suffered sleepless nights after watching Threads. <laughs> That's what's funny is uh, he, Mr. Poor here, lived in Sheffield. Um, if you've ever seen the American production the day after, it actually takes place basically where I currently live. So watching that, even though it's kind of a fictitious version of the area, they actually a lot of that movie takes place. Uh, they actually filmed it not too far from Kansas City. So watching that is kind of the same feeling. Um, one thing they used to do in America during this time is they would plant nuclear missile silos out in the middle of cornfields and you know you go to the rural areas in kansas and missouri and guess what you'll see decommissioned silos everywhere um i had another another write-in this time from tom b like most people of my age threads scared the hell out of me at the time i was 14 and it took me 20 plus years before i could face it again on dvd scaring the hell out of me once again One subtle plot point that most of the people miss occurs almost at the very end of the film. As Jane, Ruth's radiation-stunted daughter, gives birth, look at the person in the cubicle next to her. It's a scarred and obviously dying Jimmy. 
and this was what I kind of hinted at earlier, is that the when I first watched it, I didn't actually pick up on this, but Jimmy is actually not dead. He just somehow lives through this and is dying, and it's messed up. Uh, there's some contention on here, this thread, where people are arguing if it's Jimmy or not, but I believe it's the same actor. So if it isn't him, it, it might as well be. Well, guys, that's it for tonight. Um, another episode in the can. I did want to let you know that we're going to take a little break next week from depressing things. <laughs> we're going to actually talk about um, a that convention I was talking about. And every year I intend a convention around here called Planet Comic Con. And for the past two years, there's been a strong Doctor Who, actually about three years, I think, Doctor Who, uh, like, there's there's been Doctor Who actors there that have really helped bring it to this area. Because usually when you hear about actors from those kind of shows, they always go to the coasts. And I live in the middle of the United States, and it's just been kind of awesome. But I don't want to spoil too much. I'm going to kind of talk about conventions and stuff like that. We're just going to kind of take a little breather next week. So you don't have to come in expecting to take a drink before you listen. Well, everyone, I hope you have a wonderful week. Join me again one week from today, Wednesday night. We will be ready for another episode. And don't forget, this show is on iTunes. Like I said earlier, go to iTunes, give me some stars, give me some reviews, send me some messages, do whatever you can. I'm in the process of getting the show up on Stitcher, so if you hate iTunes and you think I'm a jerk for suggesting you go to it, you'll be able to go to Stitcher and listen to it that way. I've also got the show notes, which is on the main website, and AmericanViewOfBritishScienceFiction.com, where I'm going to put some helpful links on there. And you can also go and download the previous two episodes and look at the show notes for the last one. So that's pretty much all I have. I want you guys to have a wonderful night. Bye-bye. Peace.